Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 38. Hallelujah. Everybody got the victory today? Well, if we've got Jesus, we've got the victory, don't we? Praise God. Isaiah 38. And we're going to read Isaiah 38 and verses 1 through 5. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching or teaching this morning on turning your face to the wall, understanding repentance. What does the Bible really say about repentance? Now, there is a lot of scuttlebutt uh, in the world on this subject. You know, uh, some of us here uh, grew up with, with, you know, how many know you can get in the ditch on anything? (laughs) You can get in the ditch on anything. Some of us grew up in the ditch on repentance. I'll tell you what, you know, every Sunday night we got preached into the altar whether we needed to be there or not. And you think, well, that's a good thing. Well, it wasn't because the cumulative effect of that, of, of, of constantly, you know, it, it's a sin consciousness is what can develop if you're not careful. To where that we're not focusing on Jesus and His finished work and His shed blood and what is done for us. We're always focusing on us and how we failed the Lord. And so, you know, we were just always there. I'm a fifth-generation Pentecostal, so I know a little something. Yeah, praise the Lord. So I know a little something about repenting in the altar, praise God. And I was just, you know, if I came home, I was so sure I was going to miss the rapture. Now, I don't know what for, but I was so sure I was going to miss it that if I came home from school and I found a pot of something boiling and I can't find my mother, you know, I'd just freak out, you know. I must have missed a sin Sunday night. So we, we get in the ditch. And I'm afraid that our group, in some cases, we got in the ditch if we weren't careful, you know, on just a, just a constant, you know, barrage. Then there's this other ditch that some folks have gotten in that, well, because that Christ has paid it all, our salvation is a finished work. Amen. And it's uh, our faith and trust is in Christ and what he's done that uh, the word repentance almost has become a, a dirty word to some folks. It's like, well, we don't need to repent ever of anything. But you see, that's the other ditch. But we need to just go down the middle of the road and stay balanced. Amen? Praise the Lord. So on one hand, we don't want to become sin conscious. On the other hand, we want to make sure that we're making the adjustments that we need to make so that we stay connected to God in a way that will keep us victorious and powerful. Amen? How many believe that? So we need to... Yeah, so what we need to do is... Find out what does the Bible really say about repentance? What does it mean, the, the Bible? And uh, uh, also, what does, let's define repentance. What it, does it really mean? What's God looking for? How many would like to know what God's really looking for out of us? What is He looking for from our heart? So, um, let's read this passage through. 
just a few verses here, five. And then let's define repentance and see what it is, what it's not. Amen? Isaiah 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, he's not a low-level prophet, kind of a big shot in the area of prophet. The son of Amos came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. Now, this is a, he's delivering a message from God to Hezekiah. Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Well, that sounds pretty final, doesn't it? Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Well, you don't blame him, do you? Because he's gotten the death threat here. (laughs) So to speak, a sentence of death from the Lord, from through the prophet Isaiah from God. But look at this. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Another quote. Oh God, does it get better or worse? I'm th- sure Hezekiah is thinking. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. How many know that's good news? You've been given the death sentence. And now God says, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. I'm adding to your life. Amen. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. It gets better. Not only is your your life going to be extended, but the circumstances in which you live that are going to be improved. And will defend this city. This shall be, we'll we'll read a couple of verses more. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Hallelujah. So you can see here that Hezekiah turned, it says here in verse 2 again, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. That has something to do with repentance, doesn't it? has something to do with a change of heart, a change of direction, and primarily is a changing of one's mind. So, repent. To repent means to change one's mind. Another way to look at the meaning would be to turn around or change direction. Repentance doesn't have so much to do with feeling remorse and guilt and shame and all that. You know, sometimes I think a few preachers have put that on us. But it's not, God's not so much interested in in all that. In fact, He never wants you to, to feel condemned because the Bible says clearly in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we're in Christ Jesus. And so God is not your condemner. In fact, he's not even the one accusing you of wrongdoing. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now, sometimes you'll get some brother or sister in the church who decides it's their job to be the accuser of the brethren. But, um, 
you know, we know how to just say, well, thank you, God bless you, and walk on. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and, and stay, stay happy about it. But, you know, we're not supposed to be the accuser of the brethren or be dragging people up before the... In the old days, in the church of God, we used to have meetings where you could bring charges against people and throw them out of the church. Now, one time they brought up charges. This is in the 1920s. They brought up charges against my grandmother for uh, wearing silk stockings and drinking a Coca-Cola. But... Uh, um, my grandfather took care of that one. He wasn't in the church and he wasn't saved, but he defended her right to be. So he knocked on the pastor's door and he said, I understand that you're going to bring up my wife on Sunday night, you know, and can throw her out of the church. And the pastor said, yes, that's right. And he says, well, go ahead. But after that, I'm coming over here and I'm going to whip your... And then he named a certain part of the anatomy with a word that's not repeatable in church. And, uh, and somehow the whole thing was dropped, and they decided that drinking the Coca-Cola and wearing the silk stockings wasn't such a horrible infraction after all. But uh, in some cases, a whole denomination can become the accuser of the brethren. <laughs> but thank God we passed that point. Hallelujah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we've uh, lived, outlived all that. And uh, and moved on to a better place, amen? Uh, go to our happy place. But you know, we'll find ourselves in a situation where we need to agree with God. So repentance, you know, we've always thought of repentance just in the terms of sin. Now, I'll tell you something about sin. You know, thank God that Jesus dealt with the sin problem on the cross. But I will tell you this that there are consequences to our actions. I mean, you know, how smart you have to be, right? So, so you know, things that the Lord would warn you against, you know, you're, you, nobody just wants their flesh to take them over because there's consequences, right? So all sin is attached to flesh and so forth. And so if you let your flesh rule and reign in your life um, and you yield to it, there's going to be a price to pay. Just That's just the truth. And uh, so it isn't that uh, God's condemning you or, you know, trying to hurt you in some way. You know, the Bible says that we need to get a, a right concept of God. The Bible says that God is only light and in him is there, there's no darkness at all. God doesn't deal with intrigue and all this stuff behind the scenes. And he's doing weird stuff to you because, you know, he's trying to test something. This is not, that's, I don't know what, what, who you're worshiping, but that's not... The, the God of, of, uh, of the Bible. Amen? That's not Father God. Uh, God's a God of love, a God of mercy. He's for you. You say, well, you know, even while we were sinners, like you hear me quote that a lot, but it needs to be quoted a lot. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he knew he, knew he was getting all of us, warts and all, when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Amen? He wasn't gambling, so to speak, and hoping for perfect specimens. Amen. So he knows our hearts. Yeah, aren't you grateful for that? I'm grateful. I'm not perfect. Sorry to burst your bubble. The pastor is not perfect. So, you know, if that makes you not want to serve God anymore, you know, okay, it's a joke. Another failed attempt at humor today. 
I'm striking out, aren't I? Hallelujah. Sheree says it's when I try to be funny that it doesn't come off. It's just accidental, you know, right? <laughs> anyway, I need, I need better writers or something for my material. Um, we think of repentance uh, only in terms of, um, you know, uh, being forgiven of sins. But repentance has to do with us constantly adjusting ourselves to agree with God and agree with the Word. Amen? So it, 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 repentance is involved in our healing. It's involved in our uh, receiving the blessing of the Lord. Really, repentance is involved in us walking in grace, believe it or not. Uh, there's a lot of grace preachers who feel like repentance is kind of a, a, a tough word or a bad word uh, because, you know, it, from the old definition or understanding of it, it brings in the idea of sin consciousness. But we're not talking about being sin conscious. We're talking about being sun conscious. We're talking about lining our lives up to agree with the Word, to agree with what God has said, to agree with all the blessings of the covenant provisions that Jesus has for us. Can you say amen? amen? So repent has more to do with changing a mind, changing your direction, and just agreeing with God. So Hezekiah got on God's side with it. Whatever it was that needed to change, Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall. We're going to see what that means. Now, for example, Peter was preaching to the devout Jews, you remember, at Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And uh, what did he tell them after he had preached the gospel? They said, remember, remember, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts after they heard the gospel. That means they were convicted. They were touched in some way. They were God got their attention through the gospel. And he told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now, what did they... Did you ever think of that? What did they have to repent of? You've got to remember who it says he was preaching to. These are the devout Jews. These people are better law keepers than any of us have ever dreamed of being. Do you understand that? They were there. They had, they had traveled from you know, afar, spent time, effort, and money to get to Jerusalem for this special day, for this, day, this event. And here they are. And so, what is it that they are repenting of? What was it that they needed to change their mind about? Isn't that something? We hear the word repent, and we think, well, they need to come down and repent for, you know, smoking, drinking, and dancing or something. You know, no offense, Frank. The dancing part. <laughs> That's always what we think of, you know. Wasn't smoking, drinking, and dancing. Or something else. These were the holy law keepers. So they're not repenting of sin. Think about that. They're not repenting of sin. What are they repenting of? They had to change directions or turn around. They had to turn away from trusting in the righteousness that comes from law keeping and embrace the righteousness that comes from God's grace alone. Remember, he said... Repent and, turn, and change your mind about how right standing comes. Because Paul later said in Galatians, no man is justified by the righteousness that comes through law keeping. 
So see, they're convinced that their, that their attempt at keeping all of Moses' laws are going to make them justified before God. And it, it didn't have the power to do it. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews tells you that. That the law never had the power to redeem or justify, only condemn. Isn't that something? And so, what is it that they're repenting of or changing their mind? Again, it wasn't drinking, smoking, and dancing. But they're, 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 they are changing directions or turning around, turning away from trusting in the way to God that had been changed with Jesus, the advent of Christ, amen, to embracing fully and only and wholly the righteousness that comes from God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Well, praise God, they understood the message. They understood the altar call, if you want to call it that, because they said, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And it says, 3,000 men, praise God, came to Christ on that day. Isn't that something? They turned against the only, in a sense, they not against, but they turned their back on the direction that they were going and, uh, in a sense, turned their face towards the wall to see only Christ, to see only Jesus, to see only God. Amen? Now, here, let's look again at Hezekiah's state of being. The Scripture doesn't say that Hezekiah was perfect. You might say, well, you have to be perfect to get anything from God. Well, then we're all sunk. The scripture doesn't say Hezekiah was perfect, but the writer says he had served God. And, and Hezekiah said this to God in the prayer. Remember, we read it. Serve, he says, I have served God by walking in truth and with a perfect heart. Notice it doesn't say with a perfect record. Now, if we've got to serve God with a perfect record, well, let's just quit now and hope for the best. Hold your breath. But it doesn't say with a perfect record. I think that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to equate perfect record with the heart. But it doesn't say a perfect record, a perfect heart. No one but Jesus has a perfect record. So why don't you just retire from trying? To have a perfect record and, and, and let's stick with the heart and then God will help us with our behavior. Amen. We need to have faith in the Holy Ghost to help us. Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. I'm removing my coat. Is that okay? I didn't wear a tie today and now I'm taking off my coat. I will stop there. Praise the Lord. This is Pasco County still, but still I'll stop there. We have a reputation. All right. Um, notice it doesn't say with a perfect record. No one but Jesus has a perfect record. The Lord puts our mistakes under the blood and hides them in the depths of the sea. According to Micah 7.19. Amen. I, I referenced that if you want to write it down and look at it up later. Micah 7.19. We, we don't need to go fishing for them. They're in the sea. Leave them there. People want to stand up and testify. 
You know, Wednesday nights we used to have testimony service. And sometimes they'd get out of hand. Like Brother Hagin said, a woman stood up. You know, he was pastoring the Assemblies of God back in the 30s. And he said a woman stood up and said, The devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. Well, she meant, bless the name of Jesus, but she's talking about all that the devil's doing. We don't need to be talking about what the devil's doing. He's a liar anyway. We need to be talking about what Jesus is doing. What God's doing. What's the, what is the Word doing? We used to sing an old song, the Word uh, uh, is, uh, is working mightily in me. What's happening? Well, the Word is working. Well, it takes less breath to say the Word is working than it does to say the Word is not working. You have to put a knot in it. Amen. My mother used to say, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to jerk a knot. You know, you can't talk to children like that anymore. You'll go to jail. My mother would have been in jail the first year with me. Are you kidding? It's going to beat the devil out of me. Praise the Lord. And it must have worked. Something, something worked. Um, fear of missing the rapture. That's what worked. Well, we don't need to go fishing for them. Again, uh, you know, they're, they're in the sea. And um, anyway, God, you know, uh, G- Jesus said this. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. You know, sometimes you'll have somebody, maybe somebody even says something real, a little rough to you. And, often, and just as, to the best of our ability, we try to look at people's hearts. Amen? You don't take everything. If you take everything that's just said at face value, you're just going to be a tormented person in this world. But sometimes just Sheree and I, you know, maybe, maybe I get a little short with her. I know that's hard to imagine. As perfect and lovely as she is. You can't imagine this horrible man that she has to live with, you know. People used to ask her, what's it like living with Pastor David? Like, oh, it's like living with anybody else, you know. But um, maybe maybe something, and she, she, she gives me the benefit of the doubt looks on my heart, and vice versa. And we do that with each other in the church, amen, and with our families. Praise God, we have to look on the heart. God looks on the heart. And uh, not every tiny little thing. We need to get the right image of who God is. He's not this tyrant sitting on the throne with this big Texas splice water that he bought at Stuckey's. <laughs> to slap us down if we just, you know, happen to look wrong. You getting anything out of this? You see why the Holy Spirit put this off a week? You might think he should have put it off longer. Amen. Well, look at this. In Hezekiah's prayer, he demonstrates that he always wants to please the Lord and do the right thing in his heart. I believe that about most believers. Oh, every now and then you'll meet a knucklehead, but most of the time, you know, folks, they whether they're achieving the goal or not, at least that's their that's their heart. Um the Lord looked at his heart, not whether he'd achieved it. Um, this is the secret. Now listen to this. 
This is the secret to turning your face towards the wall is complete openness with God. God knows our heart anyway. There's no need in playing games with Him. Trying to look all spiritual in front of God. Don't, don't try to be spiritual in front of God. You're not going to impress Him with your stuff that you learned at some conference. Amen. This is the secret to turning our face toward the wall and getting success out of it. Complete openness to God. When we go to God with our problems and with complete honesty, we will not be met with harshness and condemnation. We will be met with grace to help in time of need. Amen? You know, it's all right to say. Let me just give you an example. It's all right to pray. Lord, I know you said you'll never leave me or nor forsake me, but it sure feels like you have. Did you know you can say that to the Lord and not get struck with lightning? Did you know it's all right to go to the Lord, even as faith people? Oh, Lord, here we go. You've got to be careful with faith people. They'll be confession monitors. And they'll tell you what to say and not to say. But we need to be open and honest with God sometimes. Amen? And we need to say, Lord, well, all the time, not sometimes. It's all right to say that. I've prayed that prayer before. I've said, Lord, I know your word says you'll never leave me nor forsake me, but this week it feels like you have. Lord, I know that you said that you'd supply all my needs and you've never seen the righteous forsaken. But it, I, I, it, if you look at my circumstances, it sure looks like it. It's all right to say that. I thought I'd give you permission to be open and honest to the Lord. And, and that's not doubt and unbelief, and it's not fear. It's just honesty. And sometimes opening up your heart to God like that, and then saying, So, Lord, here I am at the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. I don't bring you my record, good or bad. I don't bring you my performance, good or bad. I bring you the only currency that works in God's kingdom, and that is the finished work of the cross. I bring you the love of God that you've bestowed upon me through Christ. I come on His shed blood. He took my place. I, with the old song is, I should have been crucified, but I wasn't because Jesus God's Son took my place. Amen? I'm coming to God on mercy and grace and goodness that He's provided. Hallelujah. Again, what will we be met with? What if you're struggling with temptation? What if you're struggling with sin? What do you do? Try to cover it up and hope nobody finds out? No, go to God with that thing. Be totally honest. We're not talking about sin consciousness here. We're not talking about condemning yourself or just always confessing, you know, everything to everybody. We're talking about turning your face towards the wall, talking to no one but God, hallelujah, and saying, Lord, help me. I'm here to find grace to help in time of need. And Lord, you know that I'm struggling with and fill in the blank. Maybe it's, maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's hard feelings. Maybe it's offense or hurt. Or something else, a flesh thing you're tempted with. But just be honest. The Lord knows everything anyway. You're not hiding anything from Him anyway. Just be open and honest and say, I'm struggling with this. I admit it. 
Here I am, help me. What, were you, what will you find? Well, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You ought to know better than that. Is that what you're going to hear from Father God? Shame on you, you know, we've got a whole file on you. And on the big day, we're reading your file to everyone. That's what religion will tell you God's like, but He's not. Amen? The Bible says love covers the multitude of sins. Amen. God will cover you. He'll help you. Glory to God. Say, how do you know all these faces and voices? Because I've been in church my whole life. I've memorized these scripts. It's the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Notice, now, here we go. Now notice what King Hezekiah did. Not only was he incurably ill, but God Himself had pronounced the death sentence on him. The amazing thing is that Hezekiah did not die. Further, even with the God saying it that blunt. Furthermore, he did not try to scramble quick at the last minute and set his house in order. Remember, God said, set your house in order. He didn't even do that. What did he do? He turned his face toward the wall and prayed. What does it mean to turn your face toward the wall? This is good. It means to turn away from man. Turn away from man, including yourself. Say, well, I'm trying to save myself. Well, there's a problem right there. If we are the ones needing saving and we're trying to save ourselves, isn't there, do you see a conflict of interest there? (laughs) Amen. Deliver myself. In the name of Jesus, you know, we're casting stuff out of ourselves. Like I told you that one time, that girl at Rama, you know, in the student prayer, they call it prayer school. She stood up and she said, I got so anointed last night in my apartment, I laid hands on myself and fell out under the, the power, you know. I said, my God, that's powerful. Knock yourself, knock yourself out. Hopefully she doesn't do that while she's driving. What does it mean to turn your face toward the wall? It means to turn away from man, including yourself. He not only turned away from man in general, he even turned away from Isaiah, who was one of the greatest prophets the world has ever seen. Isn't that something? He even turned from him. Turned from what he had said. Turned from the prophecy. He says, I'm going to talk directly to God. I didn't even go back through Isaiah. He turned his face. What did he do by turning his... What do you turn away from? We're turning our face to the wall. We're turning to God. We're turning to the Word. We're turning to the Holy Spirit. We're turning to to a group of folk that can help us. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So what did he turn away from? Here's the list. He turned his face away from his own sensations. He turned his face away from his own symptoms. He turned his face away from his own suffering. He turned his face away from sympathizing relatives. Sometimes they can smother you. He turned away from any help any human could offer. And he turned his face to the wall. And with his face to the wall, Hezekiah could only see one thing. God, his helper. 
Amen? Sometimes I tell people, now you know the Bible says watch and pray, but anyway, sometimes I tell people when they're at the altar praying or the group prayer or whatever, I'll, I'll tell them close your eyes. Why? Well, it's not because it, you know that God sees your eyes are open and he, that, that he doesn't like that. No, it's for your sake. It's for our sake we sometimes close our eyes so that we're not like focusing on, you know, that light bulb needs changing. You know, sometimes you have to close your eyes to shut out your natural world and all the things that are around you. You follow me? You can only see one thing, God is helper. It's also a heart condition. It's not literally, you know, you don't have to literally go to a wall, okay? You don't have to pick out a wall and it's the holy wall where you put your face on the wall. It's a, it's a figure of speech, but I think there's something to it, amen? Of looking, turning away from everything. People today need to turn from everything else and turn to Christ. They will find that He is still the refuge and that the only safe place is really in Him. I'm telling you, all around us, governments are failing. Uh, hopefully ours doesn't, but you know, got some symptoms that aren't good. Um, governments are failing, systems are failing, um, industries are failing. They're talking about that our dollar could fail. Where are we going to turn? Our only safe place is really in Him. Brother Hagen gave out a prophecy once at Ramah. And uh, he said this, he said, The day is coming when only those that know how to have real faith in God will survive. And when he said that, it, every, you know, we were in the biggest, uh, the greatest economy that, you know, the world had ever seen. And everything was go-go and fantastic. Everybody's making money. Everything's great. And uh, you think, how could this be? How could we deteriorate to that? But how many can see the signs all around us? There's problems in this world. And uh, there's, there's uh, system-wide problems in this world. You know, it's not just an isolated area. It's system-wide. And uh, we need to, while we have a moment here, a reprieve, we need to make sure our faith and trust is in Him. Glory to God. People, don't even put your trust in preachers or in leaders because, you know, they've, they've failed before. I know we've been reading this week just some news and... Preachers that we know that's been preaching the gospel for their entire, you know, 30, 40 years are joining other religions now. I have a friend who announced he's now Buddhist. Turned his church into a uh, spiritual center. He went to Rama with my wife and I and, you know, as a, uh, was close to, to Brother Hagen, close to Brother Copeland, other great ministers, held conferences. Now he's announced he's gone Buddhist, turned his church into a spiritual center, preaches barefoot and wears a t-shirt. And I say, well, whatever he's smoking, he needs to change dealers because it's gone bad and it fried his brain. You know, I mean, it's really bad. Uh, what do you think? Uh, deception. 
Brother Chip, uh, he lets me call him Chip because I've known him since we were like kids. But uh, Robert Pace, he said the main, the main thing that lets us know that we're living in end times is not so much what's happening in the Middle East. You know, it's been embroiled for, since 1948. But it's more like the mass deception that's occurring. People are being deceived. Again, there's always been some preacher somewhere, somebody that's gone wacko. But you know, when you've got like lists and lists and lists of folks that are falling off of the gospel, falling away from the word, falling away. The Bible says that unless the days were shortened, that even the very elect would be deceived. We're seeing folks that served God all their life turn their back on the gospel, turn their back on the word, saying it doesn't work. Saying like Malachi, it's, it's, it's vain to serve God. It doesn't produce anything. Well, you know, even more and more we need to hold on, glory to God, to what we know is true. Hold on to the good news of Jesus Christ. He's the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, polit- it's politically correct to say there's more than one way to God. It's politically correct. You'll get, everybody will think you're wonderful. What a loving man who says that. But you know what? It's heresy. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Nobody. Care how nice they are. All right, praise God. Preach, brother, pastor. The only safe place is really in Him. Okay, this is cool. Listen to this. You'll begin to find that the end of your rope is not such a bad place to be. You ever heard, you ever ask somebody, how you doing? I'm at the end of my rope. Oh, good. Why would you say, oh, good? It's not a bad place to be. Because then and only then do you begin to find the hope offered in Christ. When Hezekiah was at the end of his rope, how many see that? I mean, he was out of rope. God had said, you're out of rope. You're at the end. Now look, listen to this. It's only then you find hope offered in God. It's like the days of Noah. Noah's ark is a type of Christ. I'll tell you one thing about tests and trials and tribulations in this world. It will put your face to the wall and you'll, you'll know what you believe. So it's like in the days of Noah. Noah's ark is a type of Christ who is the refuge uh, of his people from judgment. Remember that? Now, you know, every now and then you get a judgment preacher telling you of all the bad stuff that's coming. And it's true, there is bad stuff coming. I mean, that's not, that's not negative to say that. <laughs> Jesus said, before the end, this is what's coming. But then he said this. This is pretty cool. Now see, again, Christ is a type, or Noah's Ark is a, is a type of Christ. Remember, everybody in the Ark was saved from the judgment. If we're in Christ, we're saved from the judgment. This is the reason we shouldn't be disturbed about the end times. Don't let it disturb you. The second coming, etc. Jesus told us all these things were coming. He said there would be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, 
such things, men's hearts failing them for fear, looking on the things that are coming to pass on the earth. But in Luke 21, 28, he said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your, your redemption draweth nigh. Folks, the, the, the darker it gets around us in the world, the more we ought to start stretching our necks and looking up. Our redemption's drawing nigh. Hallelujah. He didn't say run away and hide, stick your heads in the sand and buy the survivor kit. You can get that on Christian TV, buy the survivor kit. No, we don't have to buy survivor kits. Christ is still our refuge. We will not be judged with the world. Hallelujah. Who wants to eat seven-year-old canned beans or something anyway? Come on. We're in Florida. We could grow our food. You know what? We accidentally grew a whole stalk of bananas while we were gone to Peru. We went to Peru, came home, we got a stalk of bananas. Now, whether they make it through, I don't know. The yard guys tend to knock them over and that's the end of them. But if they survive, I'll just eat bananas. I'm not ordering the end times kit, praise the Lord. I've got an end times kit. The Holy Ghost. Amen. As long as the church is in the earth, we are preserving this thing. How do I know it's not going to just blow up and kill us all tomorrow? Because we are the salt. We're the preservation. Until Jesus takes us out of here. I don't know if I believe in that. Well, fine, stay here and enjoy it. Like when, like Jesse Duplantis said one time, they can have all my stuff. I'm leaving. Here, here's when we miss it, things just stop working out. You ever had that? Just, it's not working. Don't get discouraged. Don't go over and over your mistake, your symptoms, your circumstances. But turn your face to the wall and only see Jesus. Only trust Him. You know, we used to sing that. Only trust Him. He will save you. He will heal you. He will deliver you. He is our all in all. He's everything we need. Amen? The first song I learned to play on the piano was, I didn't want to learn this song either. I wanted to play convention songs is what I wanted to play. Like we had this lady in our church that played so fast, you know, the piano about burn up. She played so fast. <laughs> convention songbook songs. That's what I wanted to learn how to play. And, and my piano teacher is making me play uh, one little hymn from the Redback Hymnal. He's all, uh, Jesus Christ is all I need. And it was boring. It sounded Baptist to me. I wanted a Pentecostal fast song. He's got me playing this Baptist song. I don't want to play Baptist style. The lady with the pearls on her glasses. And, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to play wild. He said, well, you can't play wild before you can play this. But the first song I learned to play, which is a good one, the words are, Jesus Christ is all I need. Amen. It's funny. That's what I'm preaching now. But that's, that's the truth. He's everything. He paid the price for everything. He bore all of my sicknesses, all of my pains, paid the price for all of my sins. 
Hallelujah. I don't have to, uh, I, there's not a straggler sin or two that I got to pay for. He paid for it. I don't even have the currency to pay for it. You have to have spotless blood. You have to have uh, pure blood of the Lamb. Amen. I don't have any. I don't have any currency for my, my best works on my best day won't pay for one sin that I've committed. I have to have faith in Christ. I have to have faith in His finished work. I have to believe in what He's done. Amen. And it never changes. It's that same way every day. I have to trust in Him for my health and healing. Amen. I have to trust in Him for my supply. Glory to God. You say, well, I've got a good job. Well, that could cut off tomorrow. I'm telling you, people, lives get, they get pink slips and stuff. Things happen. Then we say, where's my trust? Where's my faith? And it's in, in thee, O Lord. Amen. Do I put my trust? I trust in Him. Amen. So that's the message.